welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who could do that too, if they had those tools. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 412 for, what are we, in October already? October 2nd, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about plain blade troubleshooting, keeping things square, cleaning furniture, and shop-made tools. And this is our uh, second recording for the day, so we're just going to shoot into our emails and voicemails and try to answer as many as we can. Hopefully, we'll uh, actually give some good answers. So I guess I'll go first. This one here is from... Darn it, did I not put the person's name there? I I hate when I do that. I like giving people credit. Okay. She always screwing up, Mark. Uh, I don't it's, it's always you something sometimes. with me. I'm a slacker. <laughs> I, I barely even want to do this show. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're all just numbers to you anyway. Yeah. Customer 11734. It's all statistics. Who cares? Okay. On Mark's Friday live show, I remember oh. him joking about Nicole using Pledge to clean with, uh, with, clean with early in his woodworking career and him correcting her. I know enough that I shouldn't use products like that, but I don't really know what the reasons are for it. And more importantly, I don't know what the best way is to clean and maintain different finishes. Uh, <laughs> this is like a social commentary. I just know that I'm not supposed to do it. I don't know why. Yeah, I have no idea it's why. Not supposed to. Any light you three could shed on this would be appreciated. Now, I can't claim that this is like a rule, a hard and fast rule that everyone should follow. But generally speaking, I don't like to clean my interior furniture with waxy stuff or oily stuff. Uh, the, the surfaces that I finish them or the, the surface that's there is a cured resin. So I don't really need to add something like wax or anything like that. A lot of people like it though, because it can freshen up the look a little bit, but then once you have that crap on there, it's like you're stuck with it. You have to keep using it in order to keep it looking good. So we just clean our furniture with, you know, a little dust mop type thing or a, a slightly dampened, you know, microfiber cloth or whatever, nothing special, just a little bit of, of water on there is all you need. Just get the dust off. Uh, and if it's something that's like a, a, a bigger, you know, if you have kids, you're going to have lots of food stains and crap like that. Well, these finishes usually can withstand a little sponge action with uh, with a little bit of water and then you just wipe it away. So I, I, don't, I just don't feel the need to use any special products on, on furniture like that. And again, this is just me. I'm curious to, to hear from you guys. Do you do anything beyond just a little damp rag for maintenance of furniture? No, no, same thing with one of those like microfiber type thingies, mm-hmm. just dampen it up. And uh, now I've got some cheap furniture still left in the house that <laughs> yeah. I will use. I use the same. Um, what is it? It's, that's what I use on my hardwood floors. Um, that's an oil of some sort, like a lemon oil um, type thing. Yeah, like I don't. It's not this, but like a mop and glow type product mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and on the cheap furniture, I will use that because it doesn't have that hard um, resin um, um, varnish or whatever that I put over top of it um, on right. a lot of the furniture that I've built. Um, and I also find that because the furniture that I built has that higher quality finish on it, it cleans easier. Like the right. dust just comes right off. Yeah. So yeah. you don't really need any heavy scrubbing or really a lot of, of lubricant at all. Um, so that microfiber thing does a really good job. Yeah. Well, you, Matt, we know Lindsay does all the cleaning, but when you watch her clean, what does she do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Swiffer cloth. But I have to ask, though, if, did anybody else, like when they're growing up, grab the pledge can if you had hardwood floors and like spray it on the floor so that way you could like slide further? <laughs> no, I lived in New Jersey and had linoleum. Uh, so what we did was we grabbed wax paper and rub our socks on the wax paper. And yeah. man, that will send you across linoleum like a friggin' bullet. 
Absolutely. That's what we used to do. Good stuff, man. <laughs> but actually, now that you're mentioning it, the the whole pledge we I have hardwood floors now, so I might I might have to try that out. Oh, it's great. Nice. That what a great game to play with Mateo. Oh yeah, like, here, buddy. Let me. Like, my, when my mom found out, she's like walk along, walk along. Like thinking back now, I'm kind of <laughs> evil because like she's like walk, not expecting anything. Takes a step and her foot flies out underneath there. You know, you see how nimble she is. She's pretty good, though. She never fell. A little baby Seven Cremona's there going, later, yeah. She was like, stop putting pledge on the floor. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, like, don't uh, don't put any, like, lubricating material on your steering wheel. Like, that kind of common sense <laughs> yeah. thing, you know? <laughs> Matt don't care. He just wants a, he just wants a shiny. Um, okay, so that's about it. Uh, Shannon, I think you got the next one. Sure. It's from Cody. He says, I recently picked up an old Miller's Falls number nine. Uh, that's a hand plane, by the way, for people that people actually, I should say people like me that don't really know the numbers of all these things. Yeah. Um, that is a hand plane. Um, is that? A, uh, I have no idea. It's a number nine. It's I don't know what, like, it's, is it big? I, I, you know, like I said, I don't know these things. <laughs> it's a bench plane. That's as far as I know. Um, okay. I thought I would get it back into shape. And it doesn't seem to want to cut in the middle. I use three different grits of diamond stones to get a nice, sharp, square edge. 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 <laughs> I love your <laughs> accent. <laughs> it's got a nice, strong yeah. edge on it, eh? But the blade, it, it digs in on one side. A lateral adjustment sends it to the other side. And splitting the difference makes it dig in on each side and not in the middle. I did find, I did some minor sole flattening, but not much. I can run my finger along the mouth and blade edge, and I do feel as if the blade recedes a little into the middle. But visually, everything looks square and even. Any ideas? So the first thing I would say is you do want to take a straight edge to that plain sole and just see. Um, A lot of times you'll end up with a slight hollow in the middle of the sole, specifically right at the mouth, because that's where the casting is the weakest. And over time, um, you know, the the casting, the the iron will actually move a little bit. It can warp and... and, um, um, twist and cup and bow kind of like wood not nearly as extremely as wood but some of these planes can be really quite old so you may actually have a bit of a hollow there and that's what's causing some of the issues where you're not being able to get a cut in the middle or you may find that there are other um, oddities to the sole that are actually causing the blade to ride up and out of the cut so maybe your blade is having to extend a little bit further in order to get a cut and there's just there's it's like trying to hit a moving target. If your your sole is not really flat, if you don't have a good reference surface for that plane, it's really hard to adjust the blade appropriately to get the cut right because you just don't know. Depending on where your pressure is on that sole or where you are in the plane stroke, it could actually change how that blade is being presented to the wood. So that's the first thing I would do is really double check and make sure that it is flat right by the mouth, in front of the mouth, and behind the mouth. And ideally, you've got a flat spot on the toe and the heel um, so that it's kind of anchored. It doesn't have to be flat from stem to stern on the sole, but you definitely want it flat right by the mouth. Then I would look at the blade, and there's a, a lot of people that um, will tell you that every single plane blade you should use should have a slight curvature to it. Um, I'm not really one of those people. I do like to keep a square blade in my joiner plane because I'm using that to, you know, joint edges to glue up panels and things like that. But even then, I will tend to kind of clip the corners off on my blade. So I'm not really uh, 
sharpening a curve or a, a camber into the blade, I'm just kind of putting a chamfer right on the edge of that. And what that does is prevent the sharp corner from digging in. And that's probably what you're seeing a little bit, which is probably also compounded by the fact that your blade may be extending a little bit further than it needs to be because your sole may be out of flat. So certainly you can grind, not grind, grinds to extreme hone on a stone or something like that, a very fine curve like you would in a smoothing plane. Um, so that what happens when you set up the plane, the blade, the corners of the blade are actually tucked up into the sole. And the only part of the blade that's exposed is in the middle, which is the opposite of what you're experiencing. So it, there's a couple things going on here. I'd be willing to bet that you've got some out of flatness in your sole. Um, but I still, it sounded like a spiritual thing. You've got some out of flatness in your soul. <laughs> you got to get right with your soul. <laughs> Um, so fire and um, brimstone over here. <laughs> I would, I would also recommend if nothing, if not, uh, grinding a, a camber, then clipping those corners. And, and literally it's just a matter of take your stone, put the blade up on its side and just kind of run the corner off. Um, or you can even use a file. It sounds like sacrilege, but since your soul's out of whack already, you might as well go ahead and do it. Um, it, it you're just taking the nipping the corner off a little bit so that it's not, quite so dramatic and it's not going to, to, to dig into the wood um, dramatically there, but okay, that's all I got. All right. That's then. all I got. That. I feel like I should look up Miller's falls number nine now so that I, someone says it's a smoothing plane. Wow. Chat room. Is it? Says. Well then that's even the more reason says. to, yeah, yeah. It's a shorter, yeah, it's a smoothing plane. So even more reason why, um, because you're going to be taking a light cut with that to begin with, you really, you want to, uh, tuck those corners back up in on the blade. So again, either just clipping them off or um, putting a slight camber on there. And that can be accomplished just with a little bit of extra pressure on the, the two edges, a couple extra five, 10 extra strokes on the stone on those edges. And it will be enough to just uh, slightly relieve things a little for you. Mm-hmm. Save your soul. Yes. All right. And please. <laughs> right. Your soul. Yes. We've got some voicemails here. The first one here is from Matt. Hey guys, this is Matt out here from Oregon. My question is for Matt and or Shannon, mostly Matt. Hey man, I just want to be you, dude. Maybe taller, more muscular, hairless. What? But still you. That's Matt's best My question is bandsaw mill versus chainsaw mill. Hairless. Um... Trying to make the to decide whether or not if I want to just go ahead and build a monster bandsaw mill with your direction guidance f- via video or start off with a chainsaw mill and build up. I have plenty of spl- space, excuse me, plenty of room to build such mill and uh, I'm pretty decent fabricator and ha- also have access to a plasma CNC. So that makes me wonder or am I just getting ahead of myself in this? And I uh, need to slow down and start off maybe with the chainsaw mill. Finally, Shannon, uh, just cut down a monster uh, four-foot diameter by four-foot diameter silver maple over here in Oregon. Just curious what you know about silver maple, um, hardness and such, and uh, how e- easy it is to work with. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Appreciate all you. Cool. Okay. Well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. So... It, the hardest part about answering that question, because I've been getting that a lot lately, is like it so depends on the person. Uh, it, if you know in your heart of hearts that 
you're going to want to mill lumber and you're going to love it and you're going to want to keep doing it, then you could probably skip the chainsaw mill and go straight to the bandsaw mill. But if you're not really sure if like making your own lumber is kind of a thing for you and you're just not quite there yet, starting with a chainsaw mill is definitely a good way to go as well because of the lower cost of entry. And if you really think about it, if you're going to be doing any milling at all, the chainsaw mill or bandsaw mill, you're working with logs, you're going to want a chainsaw regardless. So your cost entry, if you think about it that way, is going to be even lower in a sense just going to a chainsaw mill too. So maybe you just get a chainsaw mill just to have one, and uh, in your spare time while using that thing, you just work on your bandsaw mill. Well, that could work, I guess. There you go. Good work. work. Sure. Do you, think, do you think you learned anything by starting with an Alaskan mill, chainsaw mill, before going to a band mill? Like, was <sighs> there any kind of... I, I, I honestly don't know. That's, I'm, I'm curious. No, not really. Because uh, I was around uh, bandsaw mills before. The, the, the chainsaw milling I always did was just so I could do some stuff here when I didn't want to be in my house, basically. <laughs> <laughs> when you need a little getaway, <laughs> when you need a little getaway, the sense of the pledge thing, is just too strong. You have to get out. Yeah, most people just go watch football. Matt decided to start cutting down trees. Yeah, yeah. you know, dropping nice. some logs in the backyard and cutting them up. <laughs> no, I don't. Logs. I can't think of anything like specifically that you would learn doing the chainsaw mill first, other than holy crap, this is a lot of work. The chainsaw <laughs> mill is a lot faster and easier. But appreciation, know, you, maybe <laughs> you get some, I guess you get an appreciation for it. you understand. Well, I guess you understand the whole idea of how important having a flat reference is. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on the band, the bandsaw mill you make or you buy, if the bed itself is kind of chintzy and kind of not the strongest, then you have to level it because it won't stay flat under its own I don't know, strength or whatever you want to call it. So like mine, when I built mine, it's rigid enough that it ha- its predisposition is flat. Like if you raise one corner, the other corner is going to come up with it and it's going to stay flat, but maybe not level anymore. For instance, if you do that on a smaller mill that has like um, angle iron for sides, you lift one corner up, one corner goes up, the other three corners stay down. You just put a twist in the bed. So you have a little more to worry about keeping that bed flat. And with the chainsaw mill, you really get to understand that because your first cut needs to be dead flat. You need to make that that guide for that chainsaw flat from the beginning because your work there to make that first cut, is that's the longest part of the whole chainsaw milling process is getting ready to make that first cut. But if you screw that up, every single cut after that is going to be goofy or come some kind of wonk mm-hmm. thing. So there's that, I guess. Hmm. Okay. That's, a good, that's good. I like that. Very good. Yeah, I made that up. All right. Spot. Good to know. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, well, uh, let's see. Who was this? Lyle? No, Matt. Um, Matt, uh, uh, silver maple is Acer Sacrum, also known as sugar maple or just hard maple. So it, it, in case you were thinking you had some sort of, you know, super special species of maple. No, it's just hard maple. Um, you think it's you're hard. special? You're not. No, you're not special at all. It's it's pretty much the maple most people know. It's it's a hard, uh, what fourteen sixty fourteen eighty pounds per square inch Jenka hardness. Uh, very 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 small diffuse pore structure, so not a lot of compression. Um, you know, it's pretty much the maple that most people are used to. So, um, did you say sugar maple or silver maple? I thought it's silver maple. It's the same thing. Silver maple? Yeah, Acer saccharinum. It's. Sugar maple or hard maple. 
Silver maple is not hard maple. It absolutely is hard maple. Yes. It is not. You guys keep going. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Google. Shannon, I think you said something about your mom, too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see, see you guys fight. My workbench is made out of silver maple. It is not hard maple. Silver leaf maple, soft maple, creek maple, swamp maple, or white maple. Does not say hard maple. Did you say wop maple? <laughs> <laughs> swamp maple. Oh, so wop maple. I want some okay. of that. He can, he can say it. He looks the part. Wop maple. And that is that <laughs> Acer uh, Saccharinum. So it's soft think, maple, right? Think, think saccharin, yeah. like sweetener. Yes. And sugar maple. Okay. <laughs> Do you have to spend more time on this or can I go to Lyle's voicemail? Welcome back to Shannon. Well, yeah, yeah I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna dig here, but it's got confused look on his face. You do that while I know silver, sugar, hard maple. They're all. <laughs> I mean, hard maple is a industry term. It's not a botanical name. But well, let's find out. Google will tell us. Red maple is soft maple or Acer rubrum. Okay. Meanwhile, Lyle's voicemail here makes me uncomfortable. This is a Roy D. Mercer. How y'all doing there? I really appreciate what you boys are doing for this, uh, this here woodworking community. Uh, Mark, Matt, and Shannon, thank you very much. Uh, listen, uh, I was working, I got a question for you. I was working on a project in my shop here, and I, I just, I'm pretty new to woodworking and everything, but my daughter, Leticia, and I, now we listen to your podcast all the time, and, and we, we really like it. And we's trying to build, she want to build a, a little set of, a, a bookend, and we we's wondering what what kind of wood you want to recommend. Uh, she's trying to do. Uh, we, we like the arson craft style, you know, for the bookend. I don't know what kind of wood you. She also like uh, the shaker style, and uh, you know, what would you recommend for style? You want to put a little uh, an OG on there, a little trim, and I, I don't know. Um, just I'll just, uh, throw, throw it by you boys and see it. It's not a big project, you know. No, seriously, folks. Seriously, seriously. Uh, I'm very, very uncomfortable with that. <laughs> wow, I'm not it's out of breath. <laughs> that's uh, it's a that's a heck of a impression to keep running for that long. Oh, that was an impression, huh? Well, it's it, I don't I don't listen to it, but I think it's from a radio show. It's like a, a prank call character that's used. Uh, Roy D. Mercer. I don't I don't pay attention. To it's that kind of comedy things. that's not really funny. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Like the Jeff yeah. Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy comedy that's not really funny. <laughs> okay. I'm sure someone's going to have to say something about that now. <laughs> Most likely. We're going to get something about that. I just that. don't find it funny. Uh, everything I'm finding here is is indicating that, that Shannon is correct. Sorry. Uh, actually, I'm not correct. Well, then. I, I, could, I could see why I'm thinking this. Silver maple or sugar maple. Acer saccharum, that's also hard maple. It's the hard stuff. Yeah. Silver maple is Acer saccharinum. There's an extra syllable in there. Oh, yes. That is a much, much softer version. So I apologize. You're right, Matt. Um, I got. I, 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 I can't read. Saccharinum. <laughs> you have that guy calling. I heard it here, folks. Mercer. That is a very fine distinction in the uh, the Latin name there. Well, and I saw it before, but I just assumed that it was some. It was mm. it was a Google search result, so I just figured 
you know, how Google tends to show you whatever the misspellings are at the same yeah, time. So, sure. yeah. no, that is actually a different species. Wow. Um, and it's 700 pounds per square inch Janka. So it's actually softer than soft maple or red maple. Um, as far as the working properties of it, uh, again, I mean, if you've seen fine. the video that I just put out last week on YouTube, I show you how to do this. But go to Wood Database. You look up that that hardness is one thing to look at, but looking at the ingrain, it's very much the same ingrain you would expect to see of a hard maple. So, I mean, it's it's going to be, while it's 700 pounds per square inch, I guarantee you it's probably going to work probably a little bit more difficult than cherry would be mm-hmm. um, because it's denser than cherry. It's got smaller pores, but still not a bad wood to work with that kind of hardness. So mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. for it. There are few things in the world more satisfying than proving Shannon wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly don't I care feel that better though. I mean, <laughs> I feel better looking at it and going, well, it's the same thing. Oh wait, no, there's an Man, I, not you. So. It got me too. I was looking at them and I didn't even notice that. Um, yeah, stupid Latin botanical names. And Man. actually, uh, make Brooklyn in the chat room says that that guy who called in sounded like foghorn leghorn calling in while jogging. I'll say, I'll say, <laughs> Uh, that's pretty good. Um, Matt, that's a cartoon. Very uh, early car- cartoon. What? Is a that cartoon. like a vehicle? It's a cartoon character. Um, okay, so Tyler has an email. Tyler <laughs> <This> also <laughs> Tyler also thinks he's funny. Oh, boy. Hi, guys. <laughs> Long-time listener, first-time caller. Mark, how dare you threaten to leave the show? Now that I'm no longer a frat boy or in the Marines, this is my only go-to for hardwood jokes. But I understand how busy it gets when you don't have an 8-to-5 job. And Matt, I've been loving the videos on the Queen Anne Highway. Excited to see you finish off the project. How will you put on the top finial pieces? Do you use a ladder or do you get a normal sized person to do it for you? And for Shannon, uh, thank you for your recent video on the properties of wood. Very informative. I've been thinking about this topic for a while, and this fills a huge gap of info that's been missing from YouTube. Heaven forbid I open a book. Sorry, Shannon, I don't have a good insult for you, but uh, maybe next time. Thanks again, guys. How do you uh, not have, have a, a good one? How do you not have an insult for Shannon? Yeah, YouTube had, didn't have on. any problem at all. No, insults for <laughs> yeah, me. you had a recent one that was pretty bad. Um, yeah, what was I called the child molester? I think something. Yeah. Oh, that oh, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I tell you about the, that, I actually I let most comments go, but that one, that one I deleted. That one you yeah. might not want to touch. Yeah. Did, did I tell you guys about the guy who said he wants to punch me in the heart in the face so hard that his fist goes oh, all yeah. the way to the back of my throat? Right, which anatomically I have issues with, but, you know. I th- it would hurt. I can definitely, I mean, even trying it would hurt. So. I just think you would have to be really tall because it would have to be punching at a downward angle to hit your face and then go down to your throat. So mm, Yes. I could be cowering on my knees. Could be, yeah. <laughs> in fear of, of the YouTube commenter. Or laying completely flat if it were Matt. It could be, yes. It means it still would be low enough. Uh, you know what? We love the uh, insulting emails and voicemails. They're hey. great. Yeah. Come on, Tyler. Up your game, man. Yeah. That was weak. And I, 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 I use a jetpack. I use a jetpack to get there, Not right? having an eight to five uh, job, was that, that was actually subtle and funny. I like that one. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. So we got one last voicemail from Zev. Hey, guys. Um, Zev here from Queens, New York. Just calling to share a uh, experience I had recently. Um, just got fed up with my little job site table saw from saw stop it's good saw just you know too small not precise enough just you know just 
wanted to step it up a little bit, so I ordered the um, the PCS. You know, they're they're bigger from the bigger cabinets all from Saw Stop, but I just don't have the space to have two saws in the same time in the shop. And anyway, I'm I, I had I cut down the uh, the MDF insert and trimmed down the rails with an angle grinder so I could fit it in my small shop, but there was a period of time when I had sold my uh, saw shop job site, and the, the, the PCS hadn't arrived yet, and uh, I needed to do some ripping. I'm working on a, uh, you know, an outdoor table with, um, had slats in the middle, 11 three-inch slats, um, and uh, they sort of fit in a little octagon table, so I'm trying to figure out how am I supposed to accurately rip these to with so you know i always hear people- i'm just going to cut through this a little bit it's like a three minute voicemail and the bottom line is he used this bandsaw and didn't get great results and is wondering like in the real world how many people have a bandsaw that's tuned up well enough uh to do things like cutting joinery basically table saw replacement type things so it was more more of a statement than a question necessarily um but he was commenting on even even though his bandsaw is a decent quality and he's got it calibrated he doesn't feel that it would be a good substitute for table saws if we're if we're contemplating what life without a table saw would be like. There, I summed it up for him. There you go. I, I, I don't, know, I don't have anything much <laughs> to add to that. I, I do it sometimes. I've demoed it before. I still have my table saw, so I use that for most things. Um, <laughs> who who has a bandsaw tuned up that much? Somebody who doesn't have a table saw. <laughs> yeah, who absolutely <laughs> needs that. Yeah, uh, who does? Someone who doesn't have two. Uh, two table saws in the works. He's got his old one going out and a new one coming in. So I think if you take more of a hybrid approach to it, that opens up some possibilities so that even if your stuff isn't absolutely perfect coming off of, of the uh, bandsaw, you could still get close enough that by the time you get back to the workbench, you know, a few passes with a plane, a little bit of action on the shoulders, you could probably get some really good results. A little bit of action on the shoulders. Yeah, I like Love a little it. action on the shoulders. Love it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think when I was, I did, I did the, uh, the bridle frame. Yeah, bridal the bridle joint frame on the bandsaw. Yep. Yeah, that was a perfectly reasonable way. And those joints didn't have to be perfect. <laughs> that was a perfectly reasonable way. <laughs> that was a perfectly reasonable way to do it. So, yeah, I mean, it's totally That's possible. not the right way, but it's a perfectly reasonable way to do it. <laughs> but I, I don't think the bandsaw needs to be, like, you know, <laughs> a, a calibrated to the level that it can cut perfect, you know, 16th of an inch veneer sheets. You know, you don't need it to be that perfect, especially if you're talking about joinery. Most of the time, you're only working on, like, a 2-inch or 3-inch wide piece. You know, so right. it doesn't have to be calibrated that well, but knowing what to do with it once it gets off the bandsaw probably is a good idea too. Well, I mean, when you think about it in terms of like the hybrid shop, you know, the a lot of folks I know that the only power tool they have is a bandsaw because they 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 don't want to do the heavy ripping type work. Mm-hmm. And you know, so they're planning on doing whatever plain jointing work after the fact. Um but if you say in your example or his example, I don't know, because you cut him off. So I don't know what his example was. Um, <laughs> is, is, is the bandsaw precise enough to cut joinery? Well, are your handsaw scales precise enough to cut joinery? I mean, because that's usually what's happening in a lot of these hybrid shops. They're mm-hmm. they're saving the, the precision, air quotes, precision uh, work for their hand tools. So it seems to me no matter how out of tune your bandsaw is, it's probably still going to be a bit more precise. <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. I mean, you've got a flat table that hopefully is 90 degrees to the, to the blade. So, I mean, I think it's probably plenty precise to yeah. cut joinery. You know, you see lots of people doing um, dovetails 
on on a bandsaw. I've seen that demo done a whole bunch of times. You mm-hmm. can cut a tenon cheek with it. I mean, if you can resaw a board and get a consistent thickness piece out of it, you can certainly cut tenon cheeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, sure. yeah. I mean, I think it just comes down to the cleanliness of the cut. But again, it's not any any dirtier. It's not any dirtier than than a handsaw cut. Like a handsaw tenon cheek looks a little fuzzy like a bandsaw tenon cheek. So, yeah, why not? But don't we overestimate like how smooth a tenon cheek truly needs to be anyway? Like Yeah, I don't know if that's part of his complaint, but if it is a little fuzzy, so what? Yeah. You know, it, it it'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, I shoot for joinery that fits off the saw as much as possible, yeah. which means all of my joinery has fuzzy faces. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> little, I want to see little animated fuzzy face joinery. Uh-huh. It sounds so cute. It does. All right, so we have uh, two more email questions here, uh, and these are going to be sort of group answers for us. Um, do you want to read that first one, Shannon? Sure. This is from Ben. He says, I have a question in regards to keeping things square, plumb, and true. With a lack of skills and not so great tools, I often find my joints come out a little on the crap side. (laughs) (laughs) And and so I'm wondering, what do you guys do when your joints aren't as hot as you'd like? You force them into alignment locally and accept it as going to knock things out of square globally. Or would you rather the end result be square and have gaps locally? Obviously, the best advice is be less crap and more pro like that Kyle Toth fella, but I don't have the balls. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. It's mostly acceptable. Mostly. Ah, yay. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Do I try to force it? Lo- I mean, it's a good way to look at it. Do you force it square locally, knowing that it could throw things off later? Or I don't know. To me, the global is much more important. Like, especially if I have moving parts, like if you're building a case and a door, like an inset door has to fit or a drawer has to fit in there, I would much rather that case be square. And if I end up creating a gap because I forced it into square elsewhere, I can fix that gap. Um, I'd much rather do that than purposely build out a square like Mark. (laughs) (laughs) That was exactly as out of square as I wanted it to be. Uh, I think I'm on the same in the same boat as Shannon here. I think globally is my bigger concern because if you start, I don't know, just think about the beginning of a project to the end, talking about doors or some kind of casework, that little mistake, if you are adjusting for it and you knock something out of square that knocks the next part out of square, this thing's going to turn to crap. Uh, if you have those little local errors and you are keeping the global thing nice and square and keeping that in mind, I think you're actually in a, in a better situation. Personally, I mean, I can't see any justification for, you know, forcing something on that local level at the expense of the global. Yeah. What yeah. What do you think, uh, Matt? I don't know. That's kind of a weird question in a sense. Uh, I think it really depends on the project you're doing and the part you're making. Um, so, and like, if I'm making a door, it's going to be inset. I want to make it oversized anyway and then cut it to whatever the geometry of the opening is anyway. So if the door ends up out of square but there's no gaps, that's most ideal in that case because I'm mm-hmm. going to trim it to fit the opening. It may not be square anyway. So I don't know. It's just kind of a weird way to think about How it. How about guess. a super simple example? You're doing a picture frame. And oh your, first miter, <laughs> your first miter is off from 45. So do you just glue it together and make the miter tight, which now sets your frame out of square? Or do you let all four of your pieces go out of square so that your final frame is square? Now you've got four gaps to deal with. I would just recut them. 
<laughs> We're assuming that you're not going to do that. I, I totally agree. You just make a new joint, right? <laughs> Come on, Mark. That's a stupid question. Sorry. It's elementary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think in that case, if I had to like pick one, I, I think I would go with one open. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't it maybe how depends how bad it is. If they can like if the cumulative gaps aren't very noticeable, maybe then I would do that. But if it looks better with the one with the gap, but the other ones are tight, maybe I'd do that. I don't know. It would depend on how big the gap is, I guess, and how big the resulting gaps in the other ones would be if I distributed the error, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's quite a bit. But really, the ul- the ultimate solution is what he's – I mean, we're making jokes about it, but right. when you notice Fix that it. joint is off, make it better. Yeah. Fix it. <laughs> Fix it now. Do it, do Fix it, it now. We'll worry about later. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and I think that there's there's a whole – like group of skills there that comes with how do you fix out of square joinery? How do you fix to, to, to use Ben's terminology? How do you fix crap joinery? Um, and you'll probably be better off fixing that crap tenon. Now, you know, there's any number of ways. If you cut that tenon wrong, glue the cheek back on if it's out of square or something, and then just recut it, you know, or figure out ways to trim or pair or something in order to get that, that tenon gap free. So that's coming together because I apologize. I, I really hate you guys that I have to think about what I taught, what I say now, but <laughs> invariably you got to be careful on the show. If that tenon, I'm just going to a tenon for some reason, but if that joint is crap, you know, you may, when it comes time to do assembly, that's when it all goes to hell, you know, and you may think, okay, well, I'm going to focus on getting the square, but maybe you forget, you know, and you, you, you glue the thing up and things shift around on you and it just makes things so much more difficult. So mm-hmm. your best bet is to fix it when you realize it's screwed up. Um, and there's lots and lots and lots of ways to fix crap joinery without having to, you know, burn it and start over. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. Oh, show. So the next one is from Andy, another group answer sort of question. Do you guys have any opinions on making tools for your shop instead of buying them? I'm more curious about power tools like DIY bandsaw mills, or wooden jointers, but homemade hand tools count as well. Insert something funny here. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> okay. It's a comedy show. It is. First and foremost. So I'm thinking, you know, <clears throat> throw trouble today. Matt's bandsaw mill is like a very, very different thing than building like a wooden jointer, in my yeah, opinion. Well, it's kind of. I have sort of an interesting perspective on this because before I built that, I had zero interest in making my own tools. Mm-hmm. I still kind of do, but it's, I, I think it depends on your approach for things. Like you can either look at it like I can make it for less than I would have to spend to buy it because I don't have the money to buy that tool. Sure. Or I don't like how that tool is made. I can make it better, for instance. Mm-hmm. And in my case, it was that the sawmill, there would be no way with the volume that I do that buying a mill that large would ever make any financial sense for me like at right. all. Right. Uh, See, so. but I think there's another distinction there too, because you built, I look at your bandsaw mill as a little bit different than what does he call them? DIY. See, and, and we're getting into terms here, but I mean, you broke out like the welder and you've used some industrial materials to make that. But when I think of a wooden jointer, or a wooden bandsaw, I need to change my shorts. I want to run um, out of the room. <laughs> and, I, and, I don't, and I don't feel that way about your bandsaw mill, and that has absolutely nothing to do with your skill. 
Matt. Have um, you seen his welds? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, like you know. <laughs> yeah, hey, I experienced some bad welds, and I know what they do when they're bad. So, uh, But, I mean, you, you look at that bandsaw mill, especially now with the pretty paint and the oh, stickers yeah. and everything, because oh, we all know, you know, just put stickers on things, and it makes it look professional. But that, to me, was an incredibly well-built industrial machine mm-hmm. that you built because of the materials you used. If you built that bandsaw mill out of plywood and solid lumber, I wouldn't feel that way because let's be real. Steel is stronger than wood. <laughs> Some woods. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, when I look at like wooden table saws um, or even just the guy who like bolted his circular saw to the underside of a piece of plywood, <laughs> yeah. you know, that plywood will sag. Your tabletop will be out of flat. If not now, at some point, my router table went out of flat and it was stacked like three MDF sheets high. So it was super, super stiff. But over the course of five years, it sagged imperceptibly in the middle because mm-hmm. it was not that's not really what that material was made for. So, you know, I, we're splitting hairs at this point because we're talking about, you know, homemade tools. It just so happens Matt like homemade tool on crack is what he went with because of his materials that he chose. So, you know, if you haven't figured it out, I'm kind of con on this. I'm all about homemade hand tools, but when things start moving under their own power and moving at high RPMs, I'm terrified. Oh, I don't trust myself. Just put it that way. My (laughs) skills are not good enough. When I turned my sawmill on the first time, that was a scary experience because you don't, I have no idea. Like, I hope Mm -hmm. this works. I'm going to stand back. And uh, I bring it up to speed and I get up to like 10 percent. I'm like, that's going pretty fast. And that's only 10 percent. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand why people do it. I, I understand why there's an inclination, why these things are, are popular, because these are expensive tools. You know, and if you could figure out a way to make it and not spend all that money and get some functionality out of it, then great. But I think, you know, what Shannon was saying, what's the five-year plan? You know, what does this thing look like in five years? Plywood, solid wood, whatever you're making it out of, these things compress, they move. Uh, I don't trust really fast spinning blades to wood. You know, wood is the thing I cut with that blade, not the thing I want my motor mounted on. So, yeah, I mean, I mean I personally, tuning up my table saw, the only reason that I ever had feeler gauges was to tune up the table saw and, like, you know, prevent run out and all that stuff. And the specialized tools that I have to use to check that it's tuned up. Yeah. It's like, if I'm running that, that, you know, dial caliper thing along a plywood surface, I just, um, yeah. You got to get in touch with your soul, man. <laughs> yes. Flatten that soul. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I would like to hear from people who have had these tools in their shop for a long time. You know, how do they yeah, hold yeah. up over time? Cause I, I have never had one. So I'm only speculating here, but I don't know. It, it just seems like something that's going to be a future problem for you, but all the yeah. power to people who, who do it and, and, and enjoy them and get good use out of them. I mean, there's a lot of very uh, resourceful people out there who are very smart and good with this stuff and can make good quality tools from their own shops. Yeah. But Man, I want metal. I want all my stuff to be metal or some kind of high density plastic, uh, something that I could trust my safety to. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to hand tools, I have no power. Or no, no power. Literally, <laughs> I have no problem whatsoever with that because it's a totally different situation. You know, your blade for the most part is static. You know, I've yeah. I've made 
uh, a wooden hand plane. I've made several spoke shaves. I've made multiple saws. Um, and there is that, you know, that warm feeling of, of I made this, you know, how cool is it? Now I'm making something with something that I just made. That's cool. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, because I would rather make stuff than make the tool itself, but I've certainly done it and I've gotten the reward out of it. Um, but I just think it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. It's, it's powered by me, you know, and I know how weak I am. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting topic, especially now. I think uh, today there's a lot of people who don't necessarily, excuse me, they're just super resourceful people. Maybe they don't have a ton of funds, but they have the inclination and the know-how to build things. So why not go down this path? It's a, it's a very popular mindset. Right. Well, and, and commercial manufacturing techniques have become a lot more democratized with, you know, 3d printers, you know, the, oh, yeah. the ability, just look at like Bob Claggett, you know, um, and, and Dave Pachuto with laser cutters and CNC's and 3d printers. And, mm-hmm. you know, those, April Wilkinson's another great one. I mean, she's got a, what, a plasma cutter and several different welding torches. And it's like, now you're getting into the realm that I'm talking about with Matt, where, you know, he built a bandsaw mill, but he used appropriate materials and, you know, hopefully knows a little bit of what he's doing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You gotta look, I've never you gotta welded look a thing in my life. So I <laughs> hey, really don't. It works. It didn't fall apart. So I think Matt is the yeah. exception that proves the rule in this case. <laughs> I would not call that your average DIY shop, like shop made tool <laughs> at all. Yeah. I didn't make it in the shop, made in the driveway. Yeah, driveway made tool. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even fit in the shop, even if I wanted it to. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. All right. Well, I think that just about does it for the show. You have some contact information you can give these fine folks, Shannon? I can make something up. Yeah, go sure. for it. Sure. <laughs> If, if you have comments, questions, topics, suggestions for the show, and uh, basically, you know, want to correct me on my knowledge of wood, please, you can send us voicemails by using your voice memo app and email those to, to wood. Yeah, just one time, one time. I only make one mistake. <laughs> one a year. That's his quota. Yeah. Uh, please send those to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or go to our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Or just go to the page to, the, to this episode, leave a comment and tell me all of the wood species that I know nothing about. Cause there are a lot of them <laughs> or find us on Instagram and tell me all the wood species I know nothing about or on Twitter. We're at, at wood talk show on both of those platforms. And we're over on Facebook and yeah, that's it. We or, all have or, our own websites too. And, or if you, you want to tell to Shannon, Shannon that he's a yes. uh, uppity snob because he doesn't use homemade tools, you could do that yes. too. By all means. And then I will respond to you by saying that's because I support my fellow, my fellow, I support my tool makers. That's what it is. And without tool makers, yeah, you know, we would be a sad world. It would. Be. We'd all have to get in touch with our souls. If I didn't have an $80 screwdriver, I would be a very, <laughs> very sad individual. <laughs> an $80 elk head screwdriver i love that thing or, or three of them oh. i only got the one that they sent me for free because i didn't buy it <laughs> I, I have three of them one of them i bought but yeah they're but nice like, seriously are they not the best in hand feel screwdriver you've ever had had the opportunity to use no doubt i mean no doubt hand, it's I so them. dense and heavy like that's fantastic i want to make a whole line of like cutlery with this that i can eat with an <laughs> let's do it DIY cutlery. 
<laughs> These are safe, I promise. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great woodworking week. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>